Our reading is the third chapter of the book of Jonah, and you'll find this on page 879. It's entitled, Jonah Goes to Nineveh. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by doing a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them this, the destruction he had threatened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, I pray for John this morning who has the task of bringing the message that's been laid on his heart. We pray that he will open our minds and our ears to receive his word and grant us understanding. Amen. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. It's good to be with you. Um, if you were expecting Alison Fletcher to preach this morning, then I apologize. I am not her. You'll have spotted that. Um, she was on the road to preach, but couldn't make it. And I'm stepping in, and I'm excited about this message. Um, and it's a familiar story, I'm sure, to many of you. Um, but I wonder whether there's something specific in this talk for us today as we, as we um, try and understand a little bit more about what it means to be a holy people, uh, being shaped into the likeness of Jesus. I want to talk to you about obedience. I want to talk to you about speaking truth to power. I want to speak to you about uh, going from repentance to rescue. A reminder first of Jonah's trials. He had run from God in the opposite direction. And he had been caught in this running from God by God. A fish had swallowed him just as he was swallowed by self. And Jonah prayed from the depths, but also from the depths of himself. We see that in chapter 2. But in the end of this prayer, at the end of this prayer, he declares salvation comes from the Lord. 
And it's my belief, I don't know if you notice this too, that in those three days in the belly of the fish, God was doing his patient, transforming work on Jonah. And so we see in our passage today, then the, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. This listening led to obedience. And here's my first confession. Sometimes I listen, but I do not obey. I don't know how many of you have a sat-nav in your car, uh, a satellite navigation system, um, or whether or not you do what my mum used to do and get the A to Z out of a place and sort of draw and highlight on a map book where it was they were going and uh, she would berate my father who would be driving and say, no, no, I meant the next left, you know, and all that kind of thing. Well, we've replaced that, haven't we, with a sat-nav. And um, I don't have any, uh, one built into the car, but I have one on my phone. And so before I start a journey, I will type in the postcode of where I'm going and head in that direction. Now, in a week where we've seen a bit of turmoil on our roads, I thought it was good to give this a bit of an exercise. Can I get home quicker by an alternative route? And the, tr the truth to that answer, the truth to that, the answer to that question is no, you can't. Um, because, because I live south of the river and St. Nick's is north of the river, and so therefore it is quite difficult to avoid the traffic. But as I was reflecting on this listening leading to obedience, I thought to myself, that is a timely reminder of what I sometimes try to do with my sat-nav. I see it as a personal challenge. Can I beat it in terms of time? Can I beat it in terms of an alternative route? It says 15 minutes to home, but can I do it in 14? Can I go by an alternative route? and end up in the same destination. As my son uh, has said to me on many occasions, Dad, do not try to outmuscle the sat-nav. Because it adjusts, doesn't it, on the journey. It knows which direction you're heading in and adjusts accordingly. So I am the first to say, sometimes I listen, but I do not obey. There's a book by Eugene Peterson called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And he says this, what fuels that obedience is love. I decide every day to set aside what I can do best and attempt what I do very clumsily, opening myself to the frustrations and failures of loving, daring to believe that failing in love is better than succeeding in pride. When it comes to listening to God, when, we, when it comes to listening to the voice of God, it leads to our obedience in following him. And we take our example, do we not, from Jesus who lived his life out in loving obedience to his heavenly father. A challenge to us all, I think, as we go about our daily lives. Have we carved out time to hear from God? Verse 
verse 3 says this, Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Four key words. The Ninevites believed God. Nestled in the middle of this passage. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. I think there's a couple of things to notice here. The greatest to the least, it filtered down from the top. But essentially, this is a message of equality. We are all in this together. The Ninevites would be saying, we are all as bad as each other. We are all guilty. Jonah preached truth. And the effect was that he preached to power. As he's preaching truth to power, the greatest to the least were affected. I don't know if you've ever had cause to speak truth to power. Taking on the unjust structures of society or the things that are not right with the world. And as Christians, I firmly believe that is part of our calling. I've got an experience I want to share with you of how not to do it. And then I've got an experience of what I want to share with you of how to try and do it. And what motivates us. I was a school governor a long time ago. And there was a change of head teacher. And the new head teacher was actually quite a difficult person. And he was doing things in the school that were um, probably not the greatest expression of his Christian leadership, I could say. This was well known. And I thought um, in my role as governor, it was important to bring these issues into the light. And uh, as I spoke to a couple of my governor colleagues, I decided that um, we would have a chat and we would see what we could do to try and challenge this particular person, hopefully in a godly way, but um, I think it was fair to say that my motivation didn't feel particularly godly, let's just say. And so we met, we spoke, and as I raised a, a couple of issues at a governor's meeting, I, I, if you like, symbolically took one step forward. And everybody else took two steps back. You see, speaking truth to power is sometimes a lonely thing. But as I, re as I reflect on it, what I was motivated by was punishment. I wanted to see justice done, but on my term. I wanted redress. I wanted, sackings is a bit strong, but I wanted some outworking of punishment on this individual. My motive was poor. That's how not to do it. In another occasion, I was a head of year at a secondary school. And somebody had been on a course in the senior leadership team. Now, beware the person who has been on a course. Because they come back with these new fanciful ideas of how this worked in one school and therefore it must work in our context. And one of the things that they came back with, amongst a myriad of other um, wonderful harebrained schemes, was that we should put all the kids in the year group, brace yourself, 
you'll be glad you're sitting down, in terms of their ranking on the walls of the school. So somewhere there would be a notice board for your year group, and depending on their academic performance, you would get a higher ranking, right? And I thought this was probably not a great idea, putting it mildly. And so when we were discussing this as a pastoral team, I was ahead of year, I might have used the phrase morally reprehensible, um, but I was motivated out of what those students would feel as they read that they were number 147 out of 180 students. I was motivated by the student who came to this country with English as an additional language, who couldn't possibly access education in the same way that others could. I was motivated, I guess, by the student with special needs who would have found themselves at the bottom of the pile, regardless of how hard they tried. And so when I spoke to the head teacher and said, look, could we reconsider this? Because I'm really concerned about the effect this will have. He listened. And it never happened. Thankfully, praise God, an answer to prayer. The motivation was different, but the action was the same. I was trying to speak truth to power. One was motivated by punishment, redress, what I thought should happen. And the other was that I wanted what was best for students. I came across this in preparation for this talk. I wonder whether it's helpful. When we speak truth to power, we need to hope for their transformation not their punishments. We need to speak in a way that seeks their well-being and not their calamity. A way that welcomes them into the grace and mercy of God. Could we be failing at thy kingdom come, thy will be done, because we are angry and don't love the powerful in the way that God loves them? And again, the ultimate example of this is Jesus. He spoke truth to power. We see that in the way he spoke to the Pharisees, to Pontius Pilate. But Jesus' ultimate speaking truth to power was not in words, but in his actions, in his death-defeating resurrection. His actions speak truth to the powers of darkness. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Eternal life is ours because of what has been accomplished. We've heard about obedience, heard about speaking truth to power. But as I'm sure you're aware, the main thread of this passage is about repentance. At the start of this series a couple of weeks ago, Steve reminded us, if you recall, of the Assyrians' evil ways. These were not nice people. But here we get an insight into what we really believe about people. You see, Jonah had decided in his heart that these were a people not worthy of God's forgiveness. Jonah had decided in his heart that these were a people not worthy of God's forgiveness. These were a people so far from the possibility of God's redemption that God should not have bothered with them. Jonah, in his human wisdom, had decided that he knew better than God. 
not just because of the message he had to give, but where he had to give it. And the lesson that Jonah learns is no evil committed can outweigh the gift of God's grace. When I was a student, delighted to be away from the family home with newfound freedom, I was up in Lancaster and I happened upon a Christian bookshop and I bought this book, which is very beautiful. We kept it in good condition. Um, it's called In the Grip of Grace by uh, an American author called Max Licado. So that's how I thought it was pronounced until I heard him speak. And he said his name was actually Max Licado. Um, this book has actually been really helpful to me because it spoke to me um, for a no- it spoke to me at the time, but it spoke to me a number of, number of years later in different spheres. And it talks about quite how scandalous God's grace is. And just on the flyleaf of this, it says, God doesn't condone our sin, nor does he compromise his standard. He doesn't ignore our rebellion, nor does he relax his demands. Rather than dismiss our sin, he assumes our sin and incredibly sentences himself. God is still holy. Sin is still sin. And we are redeemed. A challenge here for us is how many times are we like Jonah? Are we like little Jonas? We may not out and out call it, but we might silently judge. Few of us may be extroverted in our judging, who decries the sins of others out loud, but little introvert Jonas silently judging or shaking our heads. And our philosophy or our belief around sin is that so long as we keep just above the line of respectability, then we're okay. And it occurred to me that in our judging, we have occupied a role that was never intended for us. But we preach a God of grace, a God from whom we cannot hide. We sing the vilest offender who truly believes that moment a pardon from Jesus receives. You'll know that well-known hymn, a couple of hundred years old now. But it leads into praise, doesn't it? Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Come to the Father through Jesus the Son. Give him the glory, great things he has done. And this call to repentance isn't just a personal one. It's a corporate one. At the start of 2019, some of you may have gathered at St. Mary's in the lace market for a city prayer gathering. Uh, You may recall this. You may not. And um, it's over a year ago now. And amongst other things that night, amongst prayer and reflection and praise, there was a man who was quite outspoken. And um, he shouted in stentorian volume at several occasions, yes, but we must repent. 
Everyone heard it. There was no escape. And as I was thinking about repentance, preparing for this talk, I wonder, even though this man clearly had a number of issues, was he right? Of course, there is a way of doing things and there's a way of going about things, but was he right when he said we must repent? It made us feel pretty uncomfortable. Sort of sat there, more Anglicanized than ever, trying to ignore this man. And Tom Gillen, the vicar, lovingly just got alongside him and spoke to him and tried to calm him down and talk to him and pastor him, really. But I wonder, was he right? You see, out of repentance in this account came God relenting, which in turn led to his rescue. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Change was possible because they had heard the teaching not as a prediction of doom, but as a proclamation of hope. Religious Nineveh was doomed, but another way of life was possible, a way of faith in God. On the last Alpha course, a lady came in through those doors at the back, clearly needing to speak to someone. She poured out her heart, and the broken pieces of her heart came out in that conversation. She was escaping domestic violence, stopping over in Nottingham Women's Hostel for a few days. She wouldn't tell me her name. I couldn't convey the brokenness of this woman. Her question to me was, am I good? Am I good? She confessed this sin, which when you weighed up against how life had treated her, was fairly minor. But for her, it was big. And so I spoke and had the privilege of speaking of God's forgiveness. And God's forgiveness for those who repent. You see, she'd been brought up in a Christian home, but subject to crimes unspeakable. And as I prayed, God lifted that burden from her. What she demonstrated in her brokenness was this human desire for a need to be right with herself and to be right with God. What did I have to offer to fix her situation? Nothing but the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So friends, are we listening to God so that we can be obedient to him? Are we challenging unjust structures of society? Are we speaking truth to power? But friends, are we living a life of continual repentance as we seek to live lives worthy of the calling placed on us? Let's pray. 
Father God, we thank you for your work in our lives. We thank you that you are not finished with any of us yet. And we thank you, Lord God, that in ongoing relationship with you, we can open up our hearts for you to work in amongst them. You can open up our ears to hear your voice. And you can open up our lives in words and actions that means that we can bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.